0: gospel on this July the 24th in the year of our Lord 2023. It's a Monday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we like to take a look at the readings for the following Sunday, which is the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, July the 30th, uh, the last Sunday of the month. Then we move into August. And the readings are from Deuteronomy chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, and Matthew chapter 13. Now, these are very important readings, but we're going to take a look today at Romans 8. We quote this very often, Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I'm just simply going to ask you, is that a commandment or is that a promise? If it was a commandment, it would be telling us That we have to do something in order to get the benefits of what God is giving us. But if it's a promise, then that is what God is doing, not us. Because it says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, you don't call on God in order to invite him into your heart so that you can be a Christian. No, God calls you and that is his purpose. It's very well explained in the Old Testament lesson from Deuteronomy chapter 7. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, what is he talking about? This is Moses explaining in Deuteronomy 7 how God has chosen the people of Israel. And that, of course, in the New Testament, Israel becomes the holy Christian church, and he has chosen you. Now, some people will say, well, he's chosen me because, well, I'm such a good person. No. Verse 7 of Deuteronomy 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Now, if that isn't promised language, I don't know what is. Because God loves you and you are his precious child because he's keeping the oath Now, the word oath is simply another word for promise, that God gave a promise to whom? Well, he gave it to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that through the seed of Eve would come a Savior. And that, of course, took all the way to the time of the Virgin Mary when Jesus was born. But that's the oath that God had done. And Deuteronomy 7 already reminds the people that the Lord has kept his oath because he's brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In other words, going across the Red Sea, drowning the armies of Pharaoh when they tried to follow That is God keeping his oath, that all things will work together for good. Now, remember, the people of Israel did not think things were working out for good at all because, well, the Egyptians, Pharaoh had changed his mind. He did not want to let the people go, and so they were trapped at the Red Sea, but God did a tremendous miracle because he kept his oath. He opened the Red Sea, allowed them to go over it to safety. So verse 9 of Deuteronomy 7, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. And the word Lord is capitalized each of the letters in the English to refer to to the name that Moses heard on Mount Sinai, that God is Yahweh. He is the only God. He is, as the verse goes on, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now, We read in Romans last week, for example, that the mind of the Christian knows what God's will is, but we do not have the ability to carry it out. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so important that we have received either in our baptism or by hearing the Word of God, and we come to faith that's the gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us. Faith, which is what? Trust that God will keep his oath. And that's what Romans 8, 28 says. For those who love God, and that's what faith does, it moves us to love God more and more as we consider what Jesus Christ has done for us, and therefore, all things work together for our good. Now, that is something that is not evident many times, because terrible things happen in our lives where people we love die, or are injured, or are separated from us, or we may lose our job, or we can't keep up the house payments, all kinds of things like that. But God promises that all things will work together for our good. I'm trying to think of a time in the Bible where bad things happened to even believers that did not work out for their good. Now, you may think about well, the people of Israel, they began to worship other idols that they fashioned from stone and wood. And then they were sent into Babylonian captivity. Well, how was that working out for their good? Because when they were sent into Babylonian captivity, they recognized that they had sinned against God. And they pleaded that He would come and help them which he did, returning many of them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to worship him. We, we see instance after instance in the Bible. For example, in John chapter 9, and we've said this many a time, there is a man who was born blind, and he was begging. And the disciples asked Jesus, "Well." Was he born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? Now, when you stop and think about that, before he was born, what sin was this man doing that he would be born blind? But at any rate, Jesus says, no, he was born blind in order that God could demonstrate how loving he is towards him. Jesus not only healed his blindness, but he made sure that he knew, the blind man, that Jesus was the Savior that he was looking for. I'm sure when you get to heaven and you get to talk to this man born blind, who was healed, who was given, again, sight, that he would not complain about that he would realize that all things did work together for his good. Now, a lot of times we are unable to see that. For example, we may go to a funeral and we're very, very sad because a loved one has died. But if it is a proper Christian funeral and the promises of God are again renewed and told to us, then we weep, but we do not weep as those who have no hope. Because our hope is that that person who is a Christian has been saved, is in heaven in the Spirit, and we will see them again after the day of judgment. So this is a tremendous verse. When we think about the bad things that are happening in our life, God is working them for our good. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the firstborn in the sense that he was resurrected from the dead. And that resurrection is the evidence that those who trust in him will also be conformed to his image. Now, how does that happen? Well, we begin to obey the commandments of the Holy Spirit, not because we have to, but because we want to. It's kind of like a child. When a child is born, he is, of course, filled with sin and disobeys his parents. But as Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, the goal of the parent is to train the child in the ways of the Holy Spirit. So they begin to obey the Holy Spirit and do good works. They don't have that ability and little in and of themselves, but it is done, how? By the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the good works you do are not your own good works. They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit because you are attached to the vine of Jesus Christ. It says, those whom he predestined, he also called. That would be, for example, in baptism. And those whom he called, he also justified. What does that mean? It means that he declares you to be righteous in his sight, to be holy. That's what the Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy 7 says. You are a people holy to the Lord your God because you have been justified. And then it goes on, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, normally when we think of glorified, we think of us glorifying God. And that's found in the liturgy of our worship services, where we thank him, where we praise him, where we honor him. This is way of glorifying God. But God also glorifies us in keeping his promises. Even the promise to Abraham that he would go to another land was not just the land of Canaan, but heaven itself. That's very important to remember. And that's where Abraham is in heaven right now. So Paul is saying, well, those who love God, all things work together for good. Therefore, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? So now Paul begins to explain what that verse means about all things working out for our good. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, even the devil cannot be against us. The devil may be trying to get us to leave God, but God is powerful, and he keeps us in the one true faith. The other reason is verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, that's very important, that when God gives us all things, he does it out of his grace. What is his grace? It is his attitude where he gives to us those things we do not deserve. And the greatest of those things, of course, is being justified in having our sins forgiven. So who can bring a charge against God's elect? Now, if you are a Christian, you have been chosen by God that's what it means that you are elect. And it continues, it is God who justifies. So if you're justified by God, which means your sins are forgiven, and you are regarded by God as a holy child of his, then who can bring any charge against you? It would be impossible because God has justified you. Who is to condemn you? Now, the devil continues to try to condemn you. And how does he do that? He reminds you again and again of your sins. And therefore, he is working on the assumption that people believe that they cannot be saved and go to heaven if they are terrible sinners. But it doesn't matter how terrible your sin is because as a believer, you have repented of that sin. You have been justified, which means the forgiveness of sins has been given to you. A lot of even Lutherans, if you ask them, what does forgiveness mean? They cannot explain it to you. But the best way to understand forgiveness is that God no longer holds you accountable for your evil, for your sins, for your deeds, for your words, for your thoughts that are contrary to the will of God. He doesn't hold you responsible in the sense of having to pay for that sin because Jesus Christ paid for that sin by dying on the cross. That's what verse 34 says. Who is to condemn? No, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Now there in that little passage, Paul talks about the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. That Jesus is now at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. In fact, he has replaced the prosecuting attorney, who is the devil, with himself as the defense attorney. And how does he defend you? Does he tell the Father? that your sins are not that bad? No, they are that bad. In fact, they were so bad, it costs the death of his only begotten son to pay for them. Then how does he defend you? He defends you because he paid for your sins. He died for them. And therefore, that is why God does not hold you accountable for your sins. That is what is meant by being forgiven, by being justified. So when you're in that situation, remember, we are looking at things from God's point of view. That's what the whole Bible is about. All 66 books tell us how God thinks. Therefore, verse 35 of Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. And then he names, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Now, obviously, this is referring back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted. It is a blessing to be persecuted for the word of god why because number 1 even in persecution all things will work together for your good and number 2 that's part of the purpose of a christian in order to share the message of the gospel and in the sharing of the message of the gospel we will be persecuted because he quotes the old testament For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, that sounds terrible when you first hear it, but it reminds us of the purpose of the Christian that we are to stand up against the world. And today, there's a lot to stand up against, as many people are living immoral lives and think that that is okay, what they are doing. No, it's not okay. But God allows us to be persecuted and to suffer. But we have nothing to fear, because none of that is punishment for our sin. For example, the man born blind was not being punished, but he was born blind, for the purpose of showing how wonderful Jesus is. You hear this again and again on KFUO as you listen to the programs, that there is always good in whatever happens to us. That is not something that is evident, but it is something that is promised. Therefore, it doesn't matter what is happening to you in your life if you are a Christian, if you believe in the promises of God, verse 37 says, you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Conquerors mean that you have victory over sin, death, and the devil. In fact, Paul goes on to indicate how the following items cannot separate us from the love of God. He says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, and that's, of course, referring to evil angels, nor rulers who are evil, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. That could mean when we feel really good about something or feel really bad about something. That doesn't separate us from the love of God, nor anything else in all creation will be able to what? Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord now when you ask people what is your favorite bible verse many of them will speak of john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life notice that is a promise and the belief is not something that you have concocted. It is something that God has given you. Every person converted in the Bible went through the experience of moving from the old Adam to the new man. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus. That occurred to him. When Jesus appeared to him, he fell off his horse and he was blinded but then he received baptism and became apostle to the Gentiles. That's what God intends for you. You may be going through tribulation, distress, persecution, danger, or even the sword because of your clinging to the word of God, but have no fear because the love of God is not separated from you. It's kind of like the love of a true Christian parent towards a child. No matter what the child does, the parent still sticks with the child and loves the child and moves the child to do what is proper in life. We thank God for Romans 8, 28 and following because it shows that no matter what is happening to you in your life, all things are working good to your purpose. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll look at the hymn, From God Can Nothing Move Me. Join us to understand that Law and Gospel. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you.